We are Grace Church International, a spirit-filled, multicultural, worshiping community. One church in two locations. Today's message is preached by Bishop Jonathan Alvarado. We pray that it reaches you no matter where you are and equips you to be a more developed Christian disciple. Established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make known to their children from generation to come that they might know the children who would be born. They may rise up and declare to their children that there, there they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. This is the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord is already blessed. I'm so thankful for this time that we'll have to share in ministry in the word. I want to take this the next few moments in light of all that's transpiring, has transpired. Thank you. Worship singers, thank you so much. Thank you, Rajan. Thank you, musicians. Thank you, every one of you. Hallelujah. Mm. Lord, we are waiting. midst of transition, I think it's appropriate, and I think you guys were right on, po on point in tapping into the Spirit of God to be able to say, listen, we're at a pivotal moment, we're at a transitional moment, we're waiting, we're anticipating, we're hoping, we're looking forward to, we're, we're discerning, we're seeking, 
We want to know what is your will, for we want to align ourselves with it. We want to be and add our full energy and full amen to what you have said in the earth. And so I appreciate you all singing that today in preparation for the ministry of this word in particular, because it is absolutely the truth. We are waiting. This is a season of anticipation. Don't nobody know what's going on, how things are going to turn out. But Lord, we are waiting. We're anticipating. And we are creating a place for you. Oh, Lord, we are waiting. We're anticipating. And we So there's so much more contained in the text. There are a few main points that I want to lift up. And I want to speak from this thought. I want to preach from this idea. I want to muse publicly from this set of impressions that I believe the Lord has given unto me. The psalmist Asaph in this text writes this text as a proleptic contemplation for the future of Israel. I just want to entitle this. I think Martin, Brother Jim, y'all tap into this. This is for the future. This is for the future. The stuff that's happening right now, this is for the future. Give me a few moments and I'll work it out. The challenge with the contemporary society, please be seated. The challenge with the contemporary society oftentimes is that our gaze is eclipsed. Our gaze of, uh, into the future is eclipsed by our present realities. Our present realities that oftentimes loom large and seem uh, insurmountable oftentimes eclipse our view of a prosperous, hopeful, anticipa anticipated future. And oftentimes when we look to the future, we, can know, we cannot see it because we have been, our eyes have been shielded, our vision has been impaired by the current circumstances that we're experiencing and the things that we're going through. Today's message is going to be more philosophical and ethereal than it will be prescriptive. I'm not going to be telling you, do this, do this, do this, and do this. I'm not going to give you five steps to your deliverance and seven ways to come out of trouble, three steps to a miracle, and 50 ways to leave your lover. I'm not going to give you any of those prescriptions today. If that's what you're on the live stream for, you're going to be a little bit disappointed. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to think out loud, and I'm hoping that there are a few thinkers that will just think along with me. I'm going to dream out loud, and I'm hoping that there are a few dreamers that will dream with me. You see, the Christian life is framed within the context of a renovated worldview. 
a sanctified disposition and love. Too often we become Christian for the purposes of eternal salvation and that is a necessary and important component to our, uh, to our Christian life. The fact that we are saved and have our, our home in heaven secure and settled. But I'd like to suggest to you today that being Christian has more to do with the way we engage with the world than it does with our final destination in heaven. The Christian life is framed in a renovated worldview, a sanctified disposition, and love. This text reveals to us the aspirations and hopes of a father for the future of the people of God. This text does not prescribe for us ways by which we can overcome this or defeat that or be in charge of this, but rather this text reveals to us hope and aspiration, expectation and desire for a future that is secured in God, not for the current generation, but for future generations. Somebody say it out loud or type it in the live stream. This is for the future. Asaph pens this psalm as a contemplation. Oftentimes, psalms typically have laudation and praise as their underlying tenor. Oftentimes, when we read the psalms, we read them for their liturgical benefit. We read them for their for their for their uh, 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 the, the 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 benefit of their of their uh, the glory or doxology that the text brings out. They give us tools and language whereby we can articulate our praise and our adoration unto our God. But I'd like to suggest to you today that this particular psalm was not written in praise and laudation, but rather it was written in contemplation. Yet it was couched squarely within the context of Psalms, which have been known as the hymn book or praise book of the Bible. This suggests to me that the addition of Psalm 78 as contemplation suggests to me that sometimes our praise comes in the form of contemplation. Sometimes just mulling over a matter, thinking deeply on an issue, reflecting on circumstance, remembering how good God has been to you. Sometimes just thinking about it makes for good praise. Sometimes, uh, uh, Elder Pyram, people think that we're just going through exercises in histrionics when we come into the house of the Lord and we open up and we tell the people that they ought to praise God because of the things that he's done for them. And we, we quote a song that has become infamous within the context of our communities and our culture. When I think of the goodness of Jesus and all that he's done for me, my soul cries. It's not just to touch people emotionally, not just to connect with people's history, not just to meet them at a familiar place, but it is to reflect upon and an understanding that contemplation is praise. See, y'all missed a good place to praise him right there. It suggests to me that the church has grown so amnesic that we fail to realize that God has already been so good to us that like the old people that I was raised around used to say if he never does anything else, he's already is there anybody here that feels like I feel that if God never does anything else for us, he's already done enough. He's already blessed me enough. He's already made more ways than I can 
stand. He's already opened more doors than I can go through. He's already kept me from more dangers than I even knew. Dangers seen and unseen. If he never does anything else for me, he's already, I owe him a praise. Not for what he's doing right now, not for what he will do in the future, but what for he's already done. I wish I had 12 witnesses on the live stream or in the sanctuary that would just praise him right now for what he's already done. I feel good about what he's already done. There are people that died going through what you survived. There are people that laid down and took eternal rest going through what you came out on the other side saying, I went through the water and it didn't overtake me. I went through the fire and it didn't consume me. And when you look back over your life and you realize all the things that God has already done for you, you can contemplate and just think on his goodness when waves of affliction sweep over the soul and sunlight is hidden from view. If ever you're tempted to fret or complain, just think of his goodness to you. You just got to think about how good he's been because God has been good to everyone under the sound of my voice. I dare you to encourage somebody or type it in the live stream and say I know he's right about that because God has been good to me. The song gives us an indication that contemplation is validly praise. I want to move us from the notion that praise is only couched in the context of outward extolling, embodied physicality, though that is an important dimension of praise. And though the seven Hebrew words that we translated through the 80s to talk about praise all involve some form of embodiment, I think it is extraordinarily important for us to realize that contemplation is as much praise as any other form of praise in which we engage. It's the intellectual love of God. I, I lost half of you right there because some of us just want to have an emotive love of God and not an intellectual love of God. Part of the reason I stay in trouble with the body of Christ is because, because pe people, people think that if you, if you engage your mind, some of us have been duped into thinking that you get too much learning, you'll lose your burning. I've come to discover I can be on fire and think at the same time. I've come to discover that it's my thinking that fuels my burning. That's why I shout about stuff that y'all be sitting there looking at like a mule staring at a new gate. And I'm over there squirming in my seat trying to hold it all in. Because when I'm thinking about the implications of what might be happening all around me and the, and, and the way that God may be moving and turning things upside down on behalf of his people. Contemplation, then is praise. Psalmist, the psalmist's attention in our text is focused on the future. I want to encourage some people right now to understand that too much of our contemporary uh, 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 Christian music is on our current and our present and our right now situation, our immediate circumstance in our current situation. And I'd like to challenge the church, Grace Church and all of those who are watching, I'd like to challenge us to think beyond our current situation. You know them old folk I was raised around, they had more wisdom than, than, than we gave them credit for. They used to just say little simple biblical phrases, Elder Joyce. They used to say stuff like, this too shall pass. 
because they understood uh, uh, that, that, that nothing can last forever. They used to say, they used to look at us, we would be going through trouble when we were young, younger, and they used to say stuff like, oh, baby, just keep living. Because <laughs> they, they understood that, that tough times don't last, but tough people do. They, 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 they used to, say, they used to say, say stuff like, weeping may endure for a night. But joy comes in the morning because they understood, y'all. They understood something that we do not understand. And the psalmist seems to have understood it because in this particular psalm, the psalmist's attention is focused on the future. Everybody say, this is for the future. See, precious dears, sometimes we get bogged down in the here and now and we're paralyzed by what's going on currently. And we hunker down in the current reality, not realizing that God's trying to push us into a preferred future. That if we can just endure what's going on right now and seek the will of God in terms of what's going on right now, sooner or later, the now will turn into the future. Stay with me now. I'm going to give you two or three things that I think are important to lift out of the text. The first is this. The future always begins in the past. Will you write that in the live stream? Will you put that out there? Somebody needs to, to make that a part of their, uh, inculcate that deeply into their lives. The future, think about it, always begins in the past. Stay with me now. The psalmist says in, in Psalm 78 that we've read already, in verse number two, he says, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter, listen, dark sayings of old which we have heard, which we have known, and which our fathers told us. Everything that he's pointing to in the future starts in the past. What do you mean, Bishop? I mean that an understanding, a proper discernment of the future is always framed and couched in an understanding of the past. Part of the challenge in the contemporary society in general and the church in particular is that we live ahistorical lives. Most of our lives are only buttressed by and framed by the here and now. We forget, we don't think about, we don't factor in, we don't frame our existence currently in any light of anything that has transpired prior to this. And we need to understand that life does not operate at, at like a sitcom where you get all the action in one moment and then after it's over in those 30 minutes, the next week you got a new plot, you got a new twist, you got a new set of characters, you got a new setting. No! the devil is a lie. Life operates like a soap opera where you got to catch next week's story to be able to know what's happening next and you got to have been watching for a while to be able to see what's going on because y'all don't like me because I tell the truth. Some of us who used to watch soap operas know that you could begin to anticipate what was going to happen based upon what you knew about the character of the person because you've been watching them down through the years. Hey, Maddie used to watch soap operas. She didn't call them soap operas. She called them my story. Oh, my stories. It's 2 o'clock. My story's on. She used to watch The Guiding Light as the world turns. Y'all not saying that to me. General Hospital. All my children. Y'all were so happy when Luke married Laura. I, I tell you what. Y'all got happy. <laughs> yeah, but, but 
In the meta-narrative of God's story, we oftentimes only live in the present, in the here and the now. And we, we live the, these lives of depression. I'd like to suggest to you today that some of us for the last four years in American society and culture, because things didn't work out the way we wanted them to work out in 2016, we have lived lives of depressed, recluse, uh, pulled, pulled back, disengagement. We thought the world was coming to an end and everything was all for naught. But we found out the devil was alive. The sun kept on rising in the east and setting in the west. Things kept on tooling right along and sooner rather than later, things have changed. It's the meta-narrative that's framed in history. It seems that not only history, but when he says, when, when the psalmist says, I'll utter dark sayings of old, that's our history, but he says, the things that we have heard, the things we have known from our fathers, not only is it history, but it's testimony. See, our future is always framed by our history and our testimony. See, I, I, I wish I had a witness. I, I, I don't know what happened to my church. I must be a visitor at somebody else's church, guest preacher in somebody else's church today because I used to be able to talk about testimony at Grace Church and people would get happy because they would recognize that God has given them a testimony by the things that he has brought them through. I don't know who I'm preaching to today, but somebody needs to know our future is framed by our history and our testimony. Well, our history is the events that have taken place, but our testimony is what we say about those events. See, I'd like to suggest to you today, it's not just what you went through that will frame your future. It is what you say about what you went through that will determine your future. Some of us are challenged because we went through it and we don't know what to say coming out of it. And some of us are challenged because we went through it and we say the wrong things coming out of it. But I'd like to suggest to you today, it's not just what you went through in history, but it's what you say about what you went through. Your history and your testimony are catalytic for our future. Dark sayings, the psalmist says, speak to the mysterious ways that God has led us. Hey, he says, listen up. I'm going to talk to you about the dark sayings of our God. Dark, obscure, hidden, mysterious things. Come on, don't you leave me out here by myself. Live stream, y'all clap real loud so I can hear you over here because I can't hear nobody in the sanctuary. I want y'all, no, 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 you're too late. You missed your opportunity. Uh, y'all on the live stream, y'all support what I'm about to say. Dark sayings speak to the mysterious ways in which God has led us. And the sanctuary saints don't want us to realize. They don't want to let nobody uh, know or they don't, they don't want to blow their cover because the truth of the matter is we have had to walk with God some days and we didn't know how it was going to work out. And we've had to walk with God some days and we didn't know if God was going to show up. We've had to walk with God some days and it was a mystery. We looked up some days and we said how in the world do we get all those bills paid? We know we didn't have enough money at the beginning of the month. We had to look up some days and we've turned around and said God you worked it out anyhow. We didn't have the credit but we got the car anyway. We didn't have the, the clout but we got the job anyway. We didn't have the resume but they hired us anyway. I'd just like to suggest to you today that God has dealt with us in mysterious ways. His wonders to perform and I don't know who needs to do it today but somebody needs to bless the Lord today because he's not always led us in ways that we could discern or understand and this is why we have to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and lean not to our own understanding but in all of our ways acknowledge him that he may direct our paths because of the dark sayings the mysterious ways in which God leads us come on tell the truth and shame the devil it would be easy to serve God if you always knew what he was doing in your life it would be easy to walk with God if you always knew that this, okay, he about to turn right, right up here at this next corner. So I, I'm not even worried about it. I'm just going to put on my signal now. But see, God has this side about him. 
that God, just the minute you and I get comfortable and try to predict what God's about to do, God has a side that just because he's God, he will flip the script, he'll turn it, turn it around, he'll change a chapter, he'll make people that hated you start liking you. He'll make people that was blocking your path start elevating you. He'll cause people, he'll make people that you thought would be with you forever leave you to cause you to wonder, Lord, what in the world are you doing in my life? You know why? Because more than anything else, God wants us to trust him rather than predict him. And too often, we've couched God faith in the context of our own ability to predict God. But faith is not being able to predict God. Faith is being able to trust God when God seems unpredictable. The text says, I'm focusing on my future, but I got to start my future in my past because the future always begins in the past. These stories that he says in verse 2 and 3, these Stories from our fathers. These are our community's stories. One of the reasons I believe in raising our children in church. One of the reasons our children come out of children's ministry when the sanctuary is open and when the church is in the gathered setting. One of the reasons they come out on first Sundays is because uh, I need them to learn the community's stories. Come on, don't you leave me out here by myself. Some of us learned how to testify listening to folk testify. Some of us learned how to pray listening to folk pray. I grew up in an era as a musician where you didn't jump on the instrument. You stood behind the musician, looking over their shoulder, seeing what they're doing, hoping they had too much coffee before service and that they had to run out to the bathroom. So during the, so during the offering, you jump on the instrument and play a little bit and to hope they sing the song in the two keys that you knew how to play it. Y'all not saying that to me now. We learned by, by immersion. We learned by experience. We learned by connection to our stories. One of the challenges in the contemporary society is that we oftentimes don't tell our stories. I gotta move, I gotta move more, more, more expeditions now. The future always begins in the past. These are our history and our testimony, the dark sayings of which the writer speaks, and the community's defining stories. Thus, our curated experiences in God will reveal the will of God for the future. Are you hearing me? Listen to me carefully. I wrote that down because I, I felt it the way the Spirit gave it to me. Listen, our curated experiences in God reveal the will of God for the future. The operant word in that phrase is curated. See, when, an experience, when, when our collective stories come together, and we talk in community and share in community and bathe one another in the dealings and ways of God, then we begin to curate those experiences. We begin to categorize them. We begin to put them in their proper place and perspective. We begin to see them through the proper lenses. We begin to analyze them through our own life and through our own experiences. We begin to see the transformative grace of God on the life of the one who's sharing the story. And those curated experiences in God reveal the will of God for the future. The chief trick of the enemy is to cause us in this season of separation to stop talking, to stop sharing, to stop being together in meaningful ways because if we cannot curate our experiences in God together, then we'll never be able to discern the will of God for the future. This is why we have to strive for the galvanization of the congregation. Bishop, why don't we just come back together? Why don't we, other churches are worshiping together. I know I've got to weigh this, this cost-benefits proposition. i got to weigh it in the balances. 
Make sure that when we do, we do so safely. Make sure that when we do, we don't put our most vulnerable members of our community at any jeopardy or in any risk. So until we can come together in those ways, we've got to learn how to make the best of our current circumstance and call and keep up. We ought to have Testimony Tuesday at Grace Church where everybody finds three people that you can call on Tuesday just to testify about what the Lord has done in your life. I wish I had a few people that, that would follow me. And, and, and I used to be able to say stuff over the pulpit and the church just respond to it immediately. I'm wondering if I still got a church like that now. We ought to have Testimony Tuesday where you call somebody on Tuesday just to share so that way y'all can curate together the experiences in God because those are the things that reveal the will of God for the future. The ways in which God has dealt with us. Not only that, our, our, our curated experiences in God. Look at verse number five. Uh, the, text, the text says, uh, when, the, when the psalmist is writing, when Asaph is saying, he says, for he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel. I, listen, you, you do realize that Jacob and Israel are the same person. So you have to ask yourself, Jacob, y'all really, some of y'all didn't say that. You, you do realize that Jacob and Israel are the same person. That Jacob is the pre-transformative version of Israel. Jacob is the pre-struggle Israel. Jacob is the pre-encounter Israel. See, Jacob, the testimony was established in Jacob. But the law, the principle, the Torah, the, 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 the word law is a weak translation of the word Torah, which is the word that's used in this text. The word Torah doesn't necessarily mean law as we understand it in contemporary parlance in English. It really means teaching. It means the wisdom of God. It means the instructions of God. So, so it, it, Jacob got a testimony from what he went through, but when he was transformed into Israel, it became the guiding principles for his life. Part of the challenge is, is some of us have wasted the experiences that we've gone through. Okay, let me see if I can say that differently. Somebody on the live stream needs to hear this. You've been through too much hell and trouble for you to still be as dumb as you are and keep making the same mistakes. You've gone through too much. God has already brought you through too many things for you and I to continue to go through the same thing and keep, how long are you going to be broke because you won't budget? How long are you going to be under a curse because you won't tithe? How long are you going to keep going through the same experiences, Jacob, and not have a transformative wrestling match with an angel that, that knocks your hip out of socket but changes your name forever? The law, the guiding principles where steps, I told you, I'm just thinking out loud. And somebody hollered back and said, this is for our future. This ain't going to get you no Mercedes next week. This ain't going to get you no, no uh, bump in your 401k or your 503b. It, but it will get you wisdom for the future. Because I believe that God is taking us into a bright future. Our, our, uh, the, the text, uh, the, the, the Asaph goes on in verse number 6 to say that this is the purpose. That the generation to come might know him. Which means that our highest concern should be the overarching purpose of God in the future. Too often our concerns are centered around what's going on in the here and the now. And I've begun in my life, when I crossed 50, something happened to me. The, the, the things that are going on right now 
have less and less importance and less and less impact. I am concerned about what does this mean for the future? I was on a call with, with, uh, with the candidate for the United States Senate, John Ossoff, the other day, and, and we were uh, a group of clergymen and women were asked to come on uh, to talk to him and to hear from him and to encourage him. And so we were on this call together, and, uh, and I, uh, I was asked by the moderator of the call, Bishop Alvarado, will you just speak a word into Brother Asaf because uh, it, it's, it, he's getting tired. This season within the election season is, is really draining and the like. And, uh, and I said to him, I said, I said, Brother Asaf, uh, you represent some things not only in political change, but you represent a fundamental shift in the plutocratic gerontocracy that is leading the country right now. And while I expect to get old, and I'm not against old people or old things, as a matter of fact, most people all my life, you have described me as being an old soul. I hung out with old people. I got wisdom from old people. I started pastoring as a young man, sounded like an old preacher. Part of the reason of that is because of my embrace of the wisdom of the aged. But I also recognize that people tend to be more callous about the future when they don't have to, when they know they're not going to live through it. So when you have oligarchs and plutocrats that are held together by their own wealth and riches, not concerned about the future, it's time for a change. It's time to put somebody in office who's actually going to have to live through the decisions that they make right now. Because you make different kinds of decisions when you yourself are going to have to live. Y'all don't like what I'm saying. When you're 74 years old and you're not going to have to live through the planet falling apart and the, and the, and the planet uh, overheating because you're going to be dead in a few years, uh, then you will, you'll advocate for fracking and fossil fuels. And it, but if you're, if, you're, if you're 30 and 25 and 23 or, or 19 and you're going to have to live through these decisions, then you have a different outlook on the decisions that need to be made. Not only do we need to be framing our future in the past, but we ought to be thinking in the future concerning uh, the overarching purposes of God. And the psalmist seems to indicate that this generation, that generations to come, seems to be the the uh, the, the influence and the uh, and the important uh, uh, dimension of it, and the important matter is the is the generation that is to come. And that thus should be our highest concern. This, con this contemplation then, verse number seven, will, will concretize the confidence of a generation. I've said a lot of things. Some of it may have made sense to you or not. But, but come on. Come back in the room with me. I'm, let me take a drink while you get back in here. Come on. Clear your head and come back in the room with me right now. You can't miss this part. Last point, I'm done. Everybody hollered out, this is for the future. I'm trying to help us shape our thinking. I don't want you to miss that our Christian message should be framed by a renovated worldview, a sanctified disposition and love. I don't want us to miss that all of our history is all of our future begins in the past. I don't want us to miss that our curated experiences in God reveal the will of God for the future. I 
don't want us to miss that our highest concern should be the overarching purposes of God for the future. But I want you to really zero in on this last point and don't miss this now. Verse number seven, the psalmist says, the purpose for all of this is that they may, our children, our youth, the future generations, that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God but keep his commandments. In that one verse is the threefold agenda of God that I'm drilling toward in this philosophical external musing. The whole purpose of focusing on the future is so that way the next generation can have confidence, set their hope in God. Never before, hear me on this, educators and sociologists, physicians, psychiatrists and psychologists will tell you that we are currently raising a generation of children who are hopeless. They see no prospects for jobs. They see that education is too expensive, thus they'll never be able to go get it. They see the planet being destroyed, the planet that they'll have to live on, and they're growing up with a sense. They see their contemporaries being gunned down in the streets, either by forces that be or by themselves. And it is raising a generation of young people and children raised in hopelessness. They're being raised in the majority of cases by single mothers who are frustrated because they have to work too hard and rest too little to have time to invest in their nurture and development. They're being raised in hopelessness. And the psalmist points to these philosophical musings, a contemplation as praise that says, let's look to the future. A future whereby our children, listen, set their hope in God. You see, this generation has to nurture the next generation that even when we don't understand and things are not going the way we would have prescribed them to go, we set our hope in goal is a threefold agenda to set our hope in God to not forget the works of God and to follow after his commandments and this my friends is for our future that our hope be set in God I learned it as a child but it has more meaning to me today when we used to sing in Union Grove Baptist Church Every other Sunday looked like we sang this hymn. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All the other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking. It has secured me down through the years. It has shored me up when things looked like they were falling apart. It has made me to know that though he slay me, I can still trust him. It's been a comfort to me when things have been going awry and the world has been spinning out of control. I could still have my hope set in God. And so many of us that 
are viewing the live stream today as you've been looking back, thinking about, contemplating, mulling over your own life. The Spirit has been bringing to your remembrance the ways that the Lord has brought you. You can share in testimony with me that my future started in my past. That I'm curating the experiences of my life. That the Christian life that God desires for me to live has to be framed in a renovated worldview, in a sanctified disposition, and in love. That our highest concern has to be for the future. And that this type of contemplation concretizes our hope in God. In the next few moments that I have, and I only have a moment or two left, if this message has blessed you, join us as we seek to change lives by reaching and equipping people through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can find us on Facebook at Grace Church International, on Instagram at Grace Church INTL ATL, or on our website at www.gracechurchintl.org. If you would like to partner with us in our mission, you can donate on PayPal at www.paypal.me slash gracechurchintl on Cash App at dollar sign gracechurchintl or on our website at www.gracechurchintlatl.org slash giving. Now go in grace and the grace of God go with you.